Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the book of Revelation. And to that end, I invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 9 as we read the verses 13 to 21. Let us hear the word of God. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May the Lord bless and apply the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, there's a saying, just when you think it can't get any worse, it can. During the past number of weeks, we've been reflecting together on the seven trumpets of Revelation. And like the seven seals, the seven trumpets describe various judgments that the Lord will send on the earth in anticipation of the second coming of Jesus Christ. They occur at various times throughout history, but they will intensify the closer we get to the end. Now, so far, we've considered the first five trumpets. The first four of these describe the judgments of God on the creation. The first, the first trumpet describes the judgment of God on the vegetation. The second, the judgment of God on the oceans. The third, the judgment of God on the lakes and rivers. And the fourth, the judgment of God on the sun, the moon, and the stars. Now, the remaining three trumpets describe even more severe judgments. And as we saw last time, the fifth trumpet unleashes hordes of demons in the form of locusts from the bottomless pit. And their stings, which are compared to the stings of a scorpion, are so painful that men will want to die, but they cannot. Death eludes them. And now, just when we thought it could not get any worse, it does. 
For with the sounding of the sixth trumpet, the four angels beyond the Euphrates are released, along with a vast multitude of horsemen, numbering in the hundreds of millions, resulting in the death of no less than one-third of mankind. Well, it's to this terrible event that we now turn our attention with God's help. Our theme is the release of the four angels at the Euphrates. We will consider, first of all, their mysterious identity, secondly, their dreadful commission, and thirdly, their hardening effect. After the terrible calamities of the fifth trumpet, John hears the sound of the sixth trumpet. At that moment, he heard a voice emanating from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God. Now, whose voice this was, we do not know. John doesn't tell us. But most likely, it's a reference to the voice of the angel whom John had seen in chapter 8, verse 3, standing before the altar of incense. This altar reminds us of the altar of incense that was located in the tabernacle and later on in the temple of Solomon. It was positioned before the curtain separating the holy place from the most holy place. And like the altar in our text, this altar also had four horns, four protrusions, one on each corner. It was also made of gold. And on this altar, incense was burned, symbolizing the prayers for mercy of the people of Israel rising up to God. Now, this is not the first time that we encounter this, uh, this altar. We first encounter it back in chapter 6, verse 9. And there we read that when the angel opened the fifth seal, John saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And we are told they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood, on those who dwell on the earth. We encounter this altar again in chapter 8, verse 5. And there we read that after offering incense to God, the angel took a coal from this altar and threw it to the earth, putting in motion the judgments of the seven trumpets. Thus, rather than function as a means of intercession and mercy, this altar functions as a means of judgment. It's as though God had heard the cry of the martyrs under the altar, and now he is going to answer it. He's going to act. The time of mercy had passed. God was finally coming in judgment. And the same is true here as well. As John stood close to the altar, he hears a voice. And rather than speak words of mercy, the voice speaks words of judgment. And what did the voice say? John tells us. It said, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Well, who are these four angels? Well, these four angels are not the same four angels described in Revelation 7, verse 1. Those were the angels who stand on the four corners of the earth holding back its four winds. They were good angels. But the angels in our text are not good angels. They are fallen angels. They are demons. And we know that because these angels are said to have been bound. 
Good angels are never said to be bound in Scripture. They don't need to be bound because they only do what God commands them and they are completely loyal to Him. But as we learned last time, particularly evil angels are bound. And you'll notice that there are four of them. And most likely the number four here represents universality. Just as the earth is said to have four corners, so there are four demons whose power extends over the whole earth. And as such, these demons are high-ranking and very, very powerful. You notice, too, that they are said to be bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, the Euphrates River is the largest river in southwest Asia. It flows from the mountains in modern-day Armenia in the north to the Persian Gulf in the south. And as such, it marked the eastern boundary of the land of Israel. In fact, in Genesis 15, verse 18, God told Abraham that he would give him the land of Canaan, and I quote, from the river of Egypt, that's the Nile River, unto the great river, the river Euphrates, which prophecy was fulfilled during the reigns of David and Solomon. Now, symbolically, the Euphrates River represented the boundary between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. In Old Testament times, the region to the east of the Euphrates River was perceived as a place of evil. This is where man fell. This is where the Tower of Babel was constructed. This is where idolatry was first invented. This was also the home base of three of Israel's great enemies, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Medo-Persians. It was also the place where the people of Judah were taken captive by the Babylonians in 586 BC. Now at the time that John was writing this epistle, the Euphrates also marked the edge of the Roman Empire. Beyond it lived the dreaded Parthians, a powerful people that were not at all friendly to Rome and were, in fact, a constant threat to it. So when John says that these four angels were bound at the river Euphrates, the people of the time would have understood the meaning perfectly well. What he meant was that these four angels come from a place of evil, and as such, they posed a formidable threat to the church and to the kingdom of God, and even to the nations to the west of the Euphrates, where most of the Christian churches were located, both in John's day and still today. Now these four angels are being released. And what is more, to them is given command of a massive army. According to verse 16, this army consisted of 200 million horsemen, which is obviously a symbolical number indicating a vast multitude. And the horsemen, John says, had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. The heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, suggesting ferocity and cruelty and destructive strength and power. Out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone, which are often associated with hell. In fact, they are mentioned in Genesis 19 in connection with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. What is more, in verse 19, we're told that their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. In other words, 
From either direction or both ends of these creatures, their mouth and their tail, they have the capacity to damage and to destroy. Now, some have said that what John is describing here is an actual human army, but that doesn't seem likely for the simple reason that it would be impossible to supply and equip, let alone mobilize and command an actual army of that size. And so it's more likely that like their commanders, the four angels beyond the Euphrates, these horsemen are demons who have been kept in reserve or incarcerated until this exact moment. And John says as much in verse 15. John writes there that the four angels, and presumably their army, had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year. So this army of demons had been held back until now, but now the time had arrived for them to be unleashed. Now we learn several lessons from this. First of all, we learn here that we cannot see demons, but they are real and powerful, and there are many of them and they are bent on our destruction. In Ephesians 6, verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You notice the word that Paul uses, we wrestle. There's a war going on. It started at the fall of man, and it continues to this very day. Only this war is not against flesh and blood, it's not against people, it's a spiritual war waged against demons, fought with spiritual weapons, and ultimately waged against the devil himself. And we need to be aware of this, and we need to fight, and we need to defend ourselves by putting on what Paul refers to as the whole armor of God. Secondly, we learn here that although these demons are powerful, like the locusts in the previous verses, they are under God's control. They were released by the command of God at the time appointed by God. And as we'll see, they also received their commission from God. Now that's a great comfort. One commentator writes this, and I quote, It is comforting to know that the future of this world does not depend upon a leader who picks up a phone. The future of this world is not in the White House, the Kremlin, in China, or in the Middle East. It is in the hands of our sovereign God. End quote. And so just at the right moment, the moment determined by God, he will send his judgments on the earth and even use the demons from hell to that end. The point is, God is in control. He is even in control of the demons, and therefore, we who are believers in Christ have nothing to fear. And so God commands these four demons and their horsemen to be let loose. Now, what was their commission? That brings us to our second point. Why did God release these four demons and their horsemen from their prison beyond the Euphrates? Well, it was to wage war and to kill. We read in verse 15, so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. That's a shocking number, a third of mankind. That is hundreds of millions of people, perhaps as many as two and a half billion people, based on the fact that the total population of the earth at present is around eight billion. 
all of these people completely wiped out. And that is in addition to the millions more who died after the breaking of the fourth seal, which we read about in chapter 6, verse 8. Now, as such, the sixth trumpet involves a far greater judgment than the fifth trumpet. After the fifth trumpet sounded, no one was killed. People wanted to die, but they were not able to die. Death eluded them. But now with the sounding of the sixth trumpet, many, hundreds of millions, in fact, will die. Death that had taken a holiday under the fifth trumpet now returns with a vengeance. And what is more, the judgment of the fifth trumpet affected only those who were not sealed, namely unbelievers. But there's no indication of that here. The destruction caused by the sixth trumpet will affect believers and unbelievers alike. But how will so many people come to die? What will these demons do to cause so much death? Well, John tells us they will use fire and smoke and brimstone. Now, most commentators believe that these are metaphors for the destruction caused by war. And the point of this vision is that God will punish the nations who rebel against him by allowing them to kill each other in war. Now, it's important to understand that these verses do not describe any particular war, but all war at every time and at every period in history. War, like poverty, is always with us. Not a single generation in human history has escaped war and its devastation. According to an article in the New York Times published in 2003, humans have been entirely at peace for only 268 of the past 3,400 years, or just 8% of recorded history. The same article reveals that, at, that the total number killed in wars throughout all of human history ranges from 150 million to 1 billion. At least 108 million people were killed in wars in the 20th century alone. What is more, with the development of nuclear weapons, we now have the capability to destroy the entire population of the world many times over. And the possibility of this happening is very real. All it takes is one push of a button, and most of the world will be destroyed. Now, none of this should surprise us. In Matthew 24, Jesus warned that in the last days we will hear wars and rumors of wars. And this prophecy has been and is being fulfilled, and it's likely there will be more and more destructive wars before the second coming of Christ. The Apostle James tells us why. James 4, verses 1 to 3, James writes this. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasures that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not ask because you do not, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. War is a product of our sinful nature. War stems from our desire to amass wealth for ourselves and to have the means to pursue our own pleasure. 
And that means we cannot blame God for the destruction caused by war. People do this all the time. They look at all the horrible things that are being done in war, the destruction of property, the attempted murder of entire races of people, the terrible loss of life, the suffering, the starvation, the disease, and they say, if God is so good, how can he allow such things to happen? Dear friends, the problem is not with God, it is with us. All the terrible things that happen in this world, including war, are the result of our fall into sin. More specifically, they are what happens when man exalts himself and regards himself as the master of his own destiny. And when that happens, God removes his restraints and lets loose the four demons of the Euphrates and their evil hordes on the world to do their worst. One commentator writes, God says in the message of the sixth trumpet, look what happens when I remove the restraints and you take over the reins. Modern man likes to imagine that he is the master of his own destiny, the captain of his own fate, but God says, all right, I'll give you the helm. Then look what a mess you make of things. He then goes on to cite Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who once argued that God allowed two world wars in the 20th century because man thought he had things under his control. So God had to show him what an animal he was and what inhumanity he was capable of doing. The demons, therefore, will kill up to a third of mankind by inspiring them to wage war. Sadly, however, none of this will have any effect on the unbelieving inhabitants of the earth. In fact, it will only harden them. And that brings us to our third and final point. Amazingly, despite the terrible devastation and loss of life caused by these demons from hell, the unbelieving members of the human race refuse to repent of their sins. We read in verses 20 and 21, but the rest of mankind who were killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands and they should not, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Now what we have here are sins against both tables of the law. Verse 20 mentions idolatry, which is a sin against the first and second commandments, and therefore the third and the fourth commandments as well. Verse 21 mentions sins against the second table of the law. Murder is a sin against the sixth commandment. Sexual immorality against the seventh and thefts against the eighth. The word sorceries is derived from the Greek word pharmakon, from which we get the English word pharmacy and pharmaceutical. It refers to the making of potions and poisons used in sorcery, which are to be ingested. And as such, it too is a sin against the sixth commandment. The point is, at this time in history, the world will be living in sin. In fact, sin will abound. Men will give themselves wholly over to wickedness in all of its shapes and forms. And God, in turn, will send warfare and other judgments to punish them for their sin and hopefully to bring them to repentance. But they will refuse. And that, in turn, will bring on themselves even more severe judgments of the bulls. Now, we can learn several lessons from this. First of all, we learn here something of the appalling depravity of the human heart. 
So hard and stubborn is the heart of man, and so attached he is to his sins and to his idols, that not even the destruction of one-third of the world's population will cause him to repent and cry out to God. Jeremiah got it right when he wrote, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The only way mankind will ever soften in his opposition and enmity towards God is if he is born again by the Word and Spirit of God. Secondly, we learn here something of the amazing long-suffering and patience of God towards rebel sinners. Rather than completely destroy sinful man in one fell swoop, which is what they deserve, God is long-suffering and kind. He sends judgment after judgment in the hope that man might repent. He causes the gospel to be proclaimed. He keeps the gates of heaven, of the kingdom of heaven, open for as long as humanly possible. But the day is coming when his patience will come to an end. Then the day of grace will have passed by, and the day of judgment will have arrived, and the gates of the kingdom will be shut forever. And those who refuse to repent and believe will be cast into hell, where they will remain for an everlasting eternity. My friend, where will you be on that day? Will you also be cast into everlasting damnation and hell? Oh, repent of your sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only way to avoid this terrible final judgment. And the promise of the gospel is that all who repent and all who believe shall most certainly be saved. Thirdly, we learn here something of the glorious assurance for those who belong to the Lord. Terrible judgments will be poured out on the world before the second coming of Christ. And as we've observed, believers will not be immune to these judgments. They will suffer along with everyone else. But if we are in Christ, we have no reason to be afraid. For we who are in Christ have been sealed by God. God has laid his claim upon us. He has determined that we shall enter into everlasting life. It may be through a path of suffering and pain, but in the end, that is our destination. And nothing and no one will prevent God from accomplishing his sovereign purposes for his people. And so the four angels beyond the Euphrates have been released. They have caused and are causing much destruction on the earth, and they will cause even more destruction before the end of time. But beloved, let us not fear. The devil is still God's devil. If we are in Christ, no harm can come to us except it be his will. We are safe in him. And one day when he comes again, these demons and their hordes will be cast into the lake of fire together with the locusts and the devil himself never again to attack the people of God. And he shall reign, and we with him, forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, it's our great joy to be able to preach to you the Word of God every Sunday on this station. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Won't you please take the time to write us a short note. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N. 
and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. And please indicate the call letters of this station when you write. Please note that we do not send out CDs of our radio messages, but you can access and download all of our messages at any time from our website at www.banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Thank you for listening, and now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.